you're here today. What a beautiful day it is. Praise the Lord. Gorgeous day out there. If you are a guest with us, we want to welcome you. We are glad you are here with us today. Those of you that are watching online, thank you for joining us online. If today is your first time here, no matter, no matter what your age or whatever, if it's your first time here, first time in a long time, introduce yourself to us through the little card that's in the handout, and we've got a free gift that we want to give you just as our way of saying thank you for coming. I believe you'll like it. It's a nice little gift, nice little treat. So uh, take the card to the lobby after the service into the Welcome Center, and uh, that'll just give us a chance to start getting acquainted. We won't bombard you with a bunch of communications we just want to thank you for coming. CFA folks, I just want to say thank you again for your faithfulness in giving. We had a tremendous time Wednesday night with our missionaries to the Dominican Republic, Adam and Melissa Tweet, and because of your generosity, we were able to send them $1,000 more this month than we normally do, so praise God for that. Praise God for your generosity. I ran into uh, something this week. We were at a conference uh, the first couple of days of this week. And a pastor there brought up that, that the idea of giving and generosity actually was taking place even before man fell into sin. Giving and generosity is something that God built into us to bless us from the very beginning. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, it says, The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend it and watch over it. So that man was giving back through the creation and giving back by caring for the creation. So CFA family, just thank you for your obedience. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your generosity and continuing to give so that we can continue to serve one another, serve our community, and serve people around the world. We give through the app. We give online. We give through the baskets back there. If you would like to know more information about the app and giving through the app, call Angie. She can walk you through the whole thing. This is also the last Sunday of our small groups week for summer small groups. So make sure you check out our displays. Uh, there are small groups directories there, chances to sign up. Get involved in a small group. Get some fellowship. Get involved on a ministry team. And for those that are watching online on our website, uh, camdenfirstassembly.com, there's a small group tab there. And the summer small groups are there on the small group tab. And you can sign up for a small group online. And again, if you have any difficulty with that, call Angie and she will walk you through that. Angie is the expert on all of this stuff. I am going to ask Marie to come up because the last couple of weeks God's been doing some awesome things for Marie. So Marie, why don't you come up and uh, just share a little bit. Last week she shared with me that two Sundays ago, and this to me is tremendous because Marie has been a teacher. Come on up, Marie. She's been a teacher. She's been a small group leader. She has uh, taken Bible school courses and classes, and, and yet she came to me a, uh, last week, and she said the previous week that something in the message in a scripture helped her to understand it in a way that she had not previously understood it, and I'm thinking, praise God, because there are so many people who come to church, and all they want is Pastor, you reaffirm my thinking. If you don't reaffirm my thinking, then I'm out of here, you know. We need to be open to learn what God is trying to teach us, and we should never stop learning what God is trying to teach us. So share what happened on that couple of weeks ago first. Oh, I was through 79. I might need to turn that in, back uh, on. January. And I've served the Lord since I was six years old and never departed. And this past year, for the first time in my life, I had dark, two dark clouds over me. 
where I was just being beat to death because I didn't know the truth. And the word says the truth will set you free. And the scripture says my people perish for lack of knowledge. So as he was sharing from the word of God about a scripture, he said that we so often misinterpret. That was one of my clouds. And I was believing the wrong thing about that scripture, and I was being beat to death with it. I was almost at the point for the first time in my Christian life of wanting to give up and run for God. Mm -hmm. But I kept hearing David say, you can run to the mountain, but you'll be there. You'll run to the ocean and the sea, and you'll be there. And I thought, well, where would I run, Lord? But I can't handle this. And then there was another dark cloud hanging over me. And this dark cloud was because I wasn't seeing the answer to something that I had prayed for for a very long time. And I desired it so much that I even felt like I was sinning to desire it that much. And as he shared from Job and that illustration you gave about the guy said, we'll see. Mm-hmm. We'll see. Mm-hmm. The other dark cloud went. Praise God. And finally I was set free because of the truth of the word because I had misinterpreted it and been taught it wrong. Amen. So thank you for the Praise truth. God. <laughs> Praise God. Hallelujah. Isn't that awesome? And, you know, sometimes we're always looking to see something, and we think, well, if we don't see something happening in the outward manifestation, we don't think God's moving. But here God was moving. God was changing her life. And so just trust that the Word of God is going to be powerful. His truth is going to set people free and change lives. Then, Sharon, why don't you come up and help us with this next one? Last week, after our prayer time, we had our prayer team up here in the middle of the service, and Marie's part of our prayer team. She regularly serves and ministers in prayer to others. She sat down over here on the front, and, and uh, some kind of thought maybe there was a medical emergency taking place. And uh, so I asked Elizabeth and Sharon to help take her to the prayer room so that we could continue ministry out here, and they could continue ministry there, and everybody could get the ministry the Lord wanted to have. But it wasn't a medical emergency. So, Marie, talk a little bit about that, and then we'll have Sharon tell the discernment that the Lord gave her. Okay. Uh- When Candy stood up last Sunday morning and said that in prayer, God had told her he was going to show up, Holy Spirit was going to show up. I know Candy, and Candy doesn't say things lightly, so I believed it. But I didn't know how he would show up. I didn't know if it would be through spiritual gifts. I didn't know it would be something through the pastor. I didn't know if it would be something through the music team. I had no idea, but I believed it. And so as we stood over there and we were praying and several came up for prayer and the, the Spirit of God was so strong as we prayed for those people. But as we stood there waiting in and we were still praising and worshiping, I felt and saw the Holy Spirit come in from over that direction. And he just kept moving across. And as he came upon me, he first came into my hands and they were like fire. Then he began to travel down through my body in constant waves until I was frozen to the floor. That's the reason I had to get help to get to the seat because I couldn't move. (laughs) And that's happened to me many times. And most of the time, I've been slain on the floor and I was frozen to the floor of my body, whole body. But that, that was usually in a group of people where there was a line of people or I was, or, or the sometimes I've been sitting in the seats and the Spirit of God would move across the whole auditorium and everybody would be slain in the Spirit. But that was the first time I've ever been alone <laughs> in front of everybody. 
and be quite honest, I almost didn't come this morning <laughs> because I didn't know what you thought about it. <laughs> and I was afraid you didn't like it. <laughs> and all week long, I've been asking the Lord, why did you do that to me? Because I don't like to be in front of people. <laughs> I'd rather just have been sitting back there mm -hmm. and he did it to me. <laughs> and, um, and, and all of my, my Jan's family was here. And they don't know me real well. And Ethel's family was here, and they don't know me real well. And they don't know anything about the moving of the Spirit. And I thought, oh, God, why did you do this to me in front of my family members that, you know, I'm family by marriage. And I didn't know what to think. I, I, I was so concerned about them, and yet I couldn't do anything about it. When God moves on you, he moves on you. And all you can do is just let him do his thing. Amen. <laughs> and so... I don't, um, and so I didn't know what you thought. Well, here, this is, this is why I wanted to share this, too, because I didn't know what everybody would think of me when I said, help her out. I thought people, well, pastor's just moving there and blah, 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 don't doing right. But a couple of things here. One is some, a lot of people might wonder, and some people who are new to church, new to a church like ours, or maybe even you've been in a church like ours a long time and you still don't under, like you've, you've been to church and you've seen people pray for and you've seen people fall down. You ask you ask the question, why do they fall down? I've got an answer for that. It's because they can't stand up. <laughs> it's as simple as that. People fall down because they can't stand up. And it is biblical. It, it happened numerous times in the scriptures. God, Moses said to the Lord before he took the Israelites through the wilderness, he said, Lord, show me your glory. And the Lord said, you couldn't stand it. You wouldn't be able to take it. The physical body, these limited physical bodies that we have now that are not yet the glorified bodies we will have in, in eternity, these physical bodies can't stand the fullness of the glory of God. So the Lord said to Moses, you stand over here in a rock, and I will cover you with my hand, thus the, thus the song Rock of Ages, but I will cover you with my hand. I will pass by, and I will reveal a portion of my glory to you, but you cannot see my full glory and live. When Jesus himself, the angels and Jesus, appeared to Daniel in a vision to tell Daniel was praying, Daniel was interceding for his people, for his nation. When he was praying and interceding, angels came, Jesus came, and Daniel said, I lost all strength, and I fell down. When, when the men came to arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, they said, we're looking for Jesus. He said, that's me. They went down on the ground. When uh, John in Revelation began to see the revelation of the glory of God and things yet to come, John fell down on his face as though dead. So it's just, it's just that these limited physical bodies we have can't stand a great deal of God's glory, but he blesses us with that sometimes. Now, here's another thing, and another reason why um, I think that, that when something happens to one or two or three that has not happened to the rest of the body, you know, God can walk and chew gum at the same time, Right? We can't always do that. So God can be moving in, in one person, but not in others. And so others might be distracted and not receive what God wants to do for them. So that's why we say maybe the Lord is doing something in her life and he can continue doing in her life in the prayer room because, okay, so Sharon comes in there. And, and Elizabeth, or Marie said, I don't know what's happening to me. And Sharon said, um, I, I, I said, I've seen this before. Mm -hmm. And I said, I think it's intercession. Mm -hmm. And um, and Marie had had not even thought about that. And I believe God gave her a word of knowledge and word of wisdom for that. Well, when I 
when we went over, we were both thinking it might be physical, and I say, is, is, is uh, Joyce here? <laughs> and, um, and uh, but we went on over, and when I saw you, um, and, and the way the Lord was moving on your entire body, um, I knew, and I was praying, Lord, you know, I can't do it. I can't do this stuff on my own. I, I asked Jesus to help me and to give me that discernment. And so um, I, right away, I felt like it was intercession. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and what was Moses doing when the glory of God came? He was interceding for his people as they were getting, Lord, you got to go with us. If you don't go with us, we can't go. He was interceding for his people when the glory of God came on him. What was Daniel doing? He was praying for his people when the glory of God came on him. What was, what was John doing? I was in the spirit on the Lord's day on the Isle of Patmos, and the glory of God came on him. So we believe this happens. We have seen it before. We believe this happens a lot. The power of God will come on somebody, and they will, it will be a spirit of intercession. Intercession is one of the spiritual gifts that God has given. Spirit of intercession comes on, and she may very well have been interceding. Sometimes when we don't know what to pray for or we don't know what we're praying for, the Holy Spirit prays through us with groanings that cannot be uttered. We believe it's very likely that she was interceding that day for those members of her family that she was concerned about. Thus, we want that to continue in the prayer room so ministry can also continue here. The ministry out here will be strengthened by the intercession that's going on there. And the ones that she's interceding for out here can receive the ministry that God has for them. Does all that make sense? That makes sense. That's why. So if if you see us again, say, hey, you know, let's take that to the prayer room or somebody just does it without me saying so. Just know that God's working in their lives and we need to stay open to him working in our lives as well. Thank you, Marie. We love you so much. Give God, give God glory and praise. So there's a, there's a phrase that came to me a number of years ago. And it's a phrase that I believe kind of marks my life. And I would encourage you to make it a phrase that marks your life as well. To be hungry for the word, to be thirsty for the spirit, and expecting to be filled. Because the word of God is bread. The word of God is the bread of life. We need to be hungry for the word. The Holy Spirit is the river of God, and we need to drink. If any man thirsts, John chapter 7, Jesus said, If any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink, and out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. So I want to be hungry for God's word. I want to be thirsty for his spirit, and I want to expect to be filled. So thank God for what God is doing in our church. I believe what he's getting ready to do in our church. So I just encourage you, stay open to God. And you know what? Listen, if you're here today and you say, I really don't understand all of this. I don't really understand it all either, to be honest with you. And I don't, I don't have to, but it's the peace and the presence of God. Where God is, there will be peace. There will be his presence. So be hungry for God's word. Be thirsty for his spirit. Be expecting to be filled. So let's, let's look to the word of God again today. We have been in a series, kind of given an overview of the whole of Scripture And we have been through the Old Testament. We've talked about the Old Testament books of history, the Old Testament books of law, the Old Testament books of poetry, the Old Testament books of wisdom, and last week, the Old Testament books of prophecy. Now, between the Old Testament and the New Testament, between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there were 400 years. 400 years with no message. That's a long time. That's almost twice as long as the history of our nation. 
400 years with no message from God. Nobody heard a message from God. Nobody had a message from God. Nobody gave a message from God. 400 years with no prophet. 400 years with no fresh word. In the Old Testament, the people of God had a God who fought for them like a warrior. 400 years of silence. Where where is our God who fought for us like a warrior? God's people are oppressed. Roman Empire has come and they've overtaken the Israelite nation and the Israelites are slaves in their own land. They are under the boot heel of Rome, one of the most despicable, despotic, cruel. A Roman soldier could kill a Jewish person in the streets of Jerusalem and never be put on trial for it. God's people were under this oppression and they're crying out to God and they haven't heard from God for 400 years. And then John the Baptist, a guy called John the Baptist comes on the scene in Matthew, and he wasn't a Baptist, okay? He was a Baptist, but he wasn't a Baptist, if you know what I mean. (laughs) There was no Baptist denomination at the time. He was a guy who baptized people. That's why he was called the Baptist. Matthew chapter 3, in those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. His message was, repent, turn around, repent of your sins, And turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The prophet Isaiah was speaking about John when he said, He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. So Matthew says, John is fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah. Matthew chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, John says, I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming who is greater than I am, Now, remember, first first word from God in 400 years. Someone is coming who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not worthy even to be his slave and carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. He is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork. Then he will clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into the barn, but burning the chaff with never-ending fire. So he's saying God's messenger is coming. It's been a long time of silence. It's been a long time with no voice. It's been a long time where we haven't seen, heard, or felt anything from God. But God's messenger is coming. God's messenger has come. That's the message of the Gospels. And that's the section of Scripture we want to look at today. The Gospels, the New Testament. Biographies, if you will. Biographies of Jesus Christ. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. How often do we read them? How often do we read from them? And let me ask you this question. When is the last time you read through one of the Gospels as you would a biography or as you would a novel, as you would a book? We often go, well, I think I'll uh, just read Matthew chapter 6 today or I'll read from Matthew chapter 7 today. And we, we cherry pick these little sections, but that is not really how they were intended to be read when they were written. These books are biographies, a biography of Jesus Christ. Sometimes you need to just sit down and say, I'm going to read through Matthew. Maybe not all in one setting, but you're just going to read through Matthew because it is the story of Jesus Christ from one of his followers' viewpoint. So when we read the Gospels, are we reading about Jesus or are we reading about ourselves? When we read the Gospels, do we see ourselves to be more like Jesus or do we see ourselves to be more like one of his disciples when you read about Peter do you see yourself in Peter when you read about John do you see yourself in John when you read about Judas 
Do you see yourself in Judas? You know, there's a lot of good books. There's a lot of good books. I've got a ton of good books. I've gotten to where I've kind of switched from paper books to Kindle. I, I probably have, I don't know, I probably have a hundred and some books right here in my little hand on my phone because i got all these Kindle books, massive amount of books. There's all kinds of great books on Christianity and following Jesus, great books on prayer, great books on the gifts of the Spirit, great books on the various sections of the Bible. But have we forgotten that the Holy Spirit gave us these four books to tell us the truth about Jesus and how to follow him? Sometimes we're reading so many books about Christianity, we're not reading the book that was originally intended to tell us about Jesus. These books tell us about imperfect people who are following Jesus imperfectly. Does that sound familiar? They had moments of great faith, and they had moments of great failure. They had moments of great deliverance, and they had moments of great denial. They had moments of miracles, and they had moments of mistakes. It's us. Now, the word gospel means good news. So the four books that are biographies of Jesus written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they tell us the good news that God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. The plan of salvation was given in the Old Testament. The plan of salvation was given in the Old Testament. This, the gospels, is the plan of salvation happening. The plan of salvation being carried out. Again, they're biographies. Each one is a biography about one man, Jesus Christ. But they follow the pattern of how biographies were written 2,000 years ago in the Greco-Roman world. That's how they were written. They don't cover the individual's entire life. It's like, boy, I wish I knew more about Jesus from the time he was 12 to the time he was 30. They just focused on the last three years, or even some really honed in on the last week, his death and resurrection, because they are telling us about Jesus in regards to how we can be reconciled to God how we can have a relationship with God, how we can know God. Similar to biographical movies today. I don't know if you ever saw the movie The Queen. came out a number of years ago. Helen Mirren played Queen Elizabeth. That, the, the movie was called The Queen, but it had little to do with the vast majority of her life. It all focused on just a few years of the relationship between the Queen and Princess Diana. Or, or Walk the Line, the movie that came out about Johnny Cash. That really, you can't cover a person's entire life in two hours. So a lot of times there's these biographies, and it's not the whole story of the entire person's life. It's focusing in on a certain section, and that's what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John do. They're focusing in on the important, powerful, life-changing section of Jesus' life for us. But each gospel is unique. There are differences in each one. They tell the same story. They do not contradict one another, as some people like to say. They are written from different perspectives. The Holy Spirit did not override the personality of the ones who were writing the Scriptures. He did not override their viewpoints. Two authors, two authors were direct personal followers of Jesus. Two of them were not. But the two who were not firsthand part of the 12 disciples of Jesus, they learned firsthand from one of those personal followers who were followers of Jesus. And so in each gospel, we learn something new. Some interesting things, the story of the feeding of the 5,000, that is mentioned in all four gospels. In fact, that's the only miracle that's listed in all four gospels. So there's something important there. But Matthew, Matthew is the only one who tells us about the Magi or the wise men visiting Jesus after his birth. So the big idea today for the Gospels is the Gospels give us a clear picture 
of Jesus' actions and teachings so that we can follow in his steps. That's the point of the Gospels. That's what we should be reading for when we read the Gospels. Now, let me go through each one and tell you the main focuses of each one. Matthew is about fulfillment. Matthew wrote his biography to talk about fulfillment. Matthew is the first in the New Testament in the order of the books that we have them kind of in our library package. as it, This is kind of like a library package. Matthew is the first, but Matthew was likely not the first gospel that was written. Matthew appears first because Matthew's gospel, it was placed by the early church fathers. It was placed first in the New Testament because it bridges the gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament because Matthew is saying something new and exciting is happening in Jesus, but it's not the rejection of the past. It's the fulfillment. Matthew comes first in the New Testament because the Old Testament is all about God's dealings with the Jewish people, right? It's all about God's dealings with the people of Israel. Matthew is saying this one fulfills all of those prophecies. And that's why even though it probably wasn't written first, it shows up first in the New Testament because he is, he's coming right after the Old Testament, right after the Old Covenant, and he's, he's writing it primarily to the Jewish people. Matthew is primarily wants, we'll get to the Gentiles, we'll get to us, we'll get to the non-Jewish people in a minute, but Matthew is primarily writing so the Jewish people who had rejected Jesus as their Messiah will see that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the fulfillment of the prophecies. He's the fulfillment of all the long-awaited expectations. Jesus is the fulfillment of all the promises of the Old Testament. So as you read through Matthew, you will notice he says over and over and over again, this was done to fulfill this prophecy. And then he quotes a verse from the Old Testament. This was done to fulfill this prophecy. And he quotes the Old Testament. This was done to fulfill this prophecy. And he quotes the Old Testament. Because he's writing to convince the Jewish people that, yes, Jesus was the Messiah. And he was the fulfillment of all those prophecies. Matthew chapter 2, verses 3 through 6 is just one example. After the birth of Jesus, King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law, and he asked, where's the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. See, he, he goes straight to fulfillment of prophecy every time. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be shepherd to my people Israel. Right up front, at the very beginning, he tells the story of Jesus' birth and ties it to the prophecies of Jesus being the Jewish Messiah. Messiah is the Hebrew word Christ. Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ is his title. It's the Greek word. So Messiah is Hebrew. Christ is Greek. What's the English? Anointed one. That means he is the one. <laughs> he is the one we've been waiting for. And Matthew writes his gospel in the same way that Jewish writers wrote. Five parts. It mirrored the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. He tells a story, and then he gives a teaching. He tells a story, and he gives a teaching. He tells a story, and then he gives a teaching. He alternates that five times throughout the book of Matthew. He's writing completely in a style for Jewish readers. And there's a focus on obedience. For example, the Sermon on the Mount. He says, folks, this is a whole new way of thinking. Yes, yes, Jesus is the Messiah. You, you're not accepting him as the Messiah because he's so different, but he's bringing us, he's bringing our people a whole new way of thinking, a whole new way of obeying, a whole new way of relating to God. And so what's the big section in the Sermon on the Mount where he has Jesus saying, now you have heard that it was said, such and such, but I say unto you, 
such and such. You have heard that it was said this. I say unto you this. He takes what has been taught to them previously and he elevates it and raises the standard to an even higher level, a greater, better way of following God. And Matthew ends with what we call the Great Commission. Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. So Matthew is saying to my fellow Jews, God sent his son Jesus. He is the Messiah. He is the one that we've been waiting for for centuries. Receive him, follow him, and then you go and tell everybody else about him. That's Matthew. Next, next biography comes along is Mark. Mark gives a biography, and Mark is all about action. Mark's Mark skips over the birth of Jesus Christ. He goes straight for Jesus Christ's ministry and miracles. It's action. It's miracles. And, interesting, Mark was likely the first of these four Gospels that was actually written. Matthew and Luke likely looked at Mark's Gospel as a resource as they were writing their Gospel. Luke comes along. I'll get more into this in just a little bit. Luke comes along and he says, I'm going to give a full account. I've studied this. I've researched this thoroughly. I am going to give a full account. Mark was influenced by Peter. When Peter went out in his ministry, Mark was one of his followers. Mark was one of his companions. Mark heard all of these stories from Peter. And so when he wrote his gospel, he was influenced by traveling with Peter, hearing the stories from Peter. So Matthew and John were original 12 disciples of Jesus. Mark and Luke were not original followers of Jesus. So they're not giving the firsthand report, but Mark was with Peter, heard all the stories, and the Holy Spirit inspired him to write what he had learned from Peter, and his focus is on miracles, 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 miracles. Mark doesn't go into detail. Mark's just like short stories and bullet points, quick burst, boom. When I read Mark, when I read Mark, I think of John Madden calling a football game. I had, I had a friend in Indiana, couldn't stand John Madden. I, I just thought John Madden was, and he, and he gives it to the running back, and it's boom, right there in the front line. And then he goes back in, and he passes it, boom, there he is, a touchdown. Then the defensive tackle comes in, like, boom, pow, wham, he, boom, he's over, you know. John Madden didn't ever complete any sentences when he was calling the football game. It was just, boom, man, pow, you know. That's kind of how Mark is. Mark's not giving the full stories. Jesus goes here and he sees the blind man. And boom, wow, the guy can see him. Then he goes over here and there's a lame man. And Jesus tells you, boom, the lame man gets up and walks. Jesus, and boom, pow, wow. He's John Madden calling Jesus' ministry. That's Mark. And the word immediately shows up in Mark all the time. Mark is saying, something good is happening here and it's happening now. Don't miss it. It's happening suddenly. Now see, the disciples were not brain surgeons. The disciples were not rocket scientists. The, the disciples were looking for a physical kingdom. The disciples were looking for Jesus to come and be a general and a king and overthrow the Roman Empire and set up the great glorious kingdom of God on earth like they had in the days of David. That's what they thought was going to happen. But Jesus said, no, my kingdom is not of this world. The disciples wanted material gain. They would fight with one another over who got to sit closest to Jesus. Their mommies would come and say, when the kingdom comes, can my son have a place of power? And Jesus is like, how long shall I put up with you guys? This is not an earthly kingdom. It's not about position. It's not about wealth. It's not about power. So look at Mark chapter 9, verses 33 through 37. Here's Mark telling part of the story. After they arrived at Capernaum, settled in a house, Jesus asked his disciples, 
What were you discussing out on the road? Jesus like, I saw you guys talking back there. What were you talking about? They didn't answer because they had been arguing. <laughs> they were kind of sheepish. They didn't want to tell Jesus. They were arguing about which one of them is the greatest. Now, Peter, you think you're the greatest. Yeah, you're always doing this and that. And no, I don't think so. I, I'm, I'm, we're James and John. We're the greatest. They've been arguing about which one of them is the greatest. So Jesus sat down. Called the 12 disciples over to him. Come on, guys, come in close. Look me in the eye and listen. Please listen to me. Whoever wants to be first must take last place. Whoever wants to be first must be the servant of everyone else. You're not going to be vice president. You're not going to be governor. You might be dog catcher. You might, you might, you know, be sweeping the hallways. If you want to be great, you need to serve. And then he put a little child among them and took the child in his arms. He said, anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me. Anyone who welcomes me welcomes not only me, but my father who sent me. It's low. It's humble. It's not great and grand and grandiose. And Jesus lived those teachings out before them, and he received honor from his father. And after he went through suffering and died, the most excruciating, painful death anyone could. It's cross before crown. Cross before crown, suffering, self-denial before glory. So that's Matthew, that's Mark. Luke, Luke's message is this is guaranteed truth for everybody. Guaranteed truth for everybody. Luke is the only gospel that got a sequel. The book of Acts is the sequel to the book of Luke. And the focus of Luke and Acts together is God's plan to bring salvation to all people. Remember, Matthew is primarily for the Jews. Matthew believed the Gentiles could be saved, but Matthew is trying to convince the Jewish people that Jesus was their Messiah. Mark is, boom, action, miracles, blind seeing, lame walking, deaf come. Jesus came and did great stuff. Luke says, I've researched this thoroughly, and it's for everybody. This is the fullest, most detailed account of the story of Jesus. And Luke also focuses on the work of the Holy Spirit both in the gospel and in the book of Acts. More than half of Luke is unique. More than half of Luke is not found in any of the other gospels. And again, Luke starts out his gospel by saying, I've researched this. I've done the research. I've done thorough research. And, and it's written, Luke and Acts both are written as if it's a personal letter to a guy named Theophilus. Theophilus. Interesting. The name Theophilus means... One who loves God. So the question arises, was Luke writing to a person, an individual named Theophilus? Or since he says, I'm writing to Theophilus, which means one who loves God, is he using that kind of as a, as a euphemism and an example that I'm writing to everybody? I'm, I'm writing this as if I'm writing it as a personal letter to one person, but really, this is written to anybody who loves God. Because that's what Theophilus means. We really don't know the answer to that question, but it is like being written to an individual. And if you love God, you can read it as if it's an account that's been researched and written specifically to you, like a letter telling the greatest story ever told. Here's what he said when he opened it up Luke chapter 1. Many people have set out, many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They used the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, 
I also have decided to write an accurate account for you, most honorable. If you're like a super OCD, detailed person, you're, you're with Luke. You're in good shape because Luke is, that's, praise God. So you can be certain. I've researched this. This is detailed. I've talked to the eyewitnesses. You can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. You can count on this book being true. Since the time of Abraham, when God called Abraham to be the father of the Jewish people, all the non-Jewish people were outsiders. Some of the Gentile people became Jewish by circumcision. They were not children of Abraham by blood, but they were circumcision. But you know, that whole thing of circumcision kind of blew some people's minds. And they're like, I, I don't know if I want to do that or not. And also, the Jewish people never fully understood their purpose. The Jewish people were like, well, we are the chosen people. You know, God loves us, and he's specializing on us, and we're special, and you're just a bunch of dirty Gentile dogs. But that was missing the whole point. God said to Abraham in Genesis, the first book, chapter 12, I'm going to bless you so that all the nations on the earth can be blessed. God wanted to bless the nations of Israel so other people would look and say, hey, the Assyrians, the Syrians, and Babylonians, all that. They should have been able to look at Israel and say, hey, Look at how God's blessing them. He wants to bless us that way. Let's follow their God. But the Jewish people are like, nope, 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 nope. He's our God. He's not your God. We're special. You're not. They never understood their purpose. What Luke is saying is God's opening this door wide. Matthew said, yes, he's the Jewish Messiah, fulfillment for the, Gen for the Jewish people. But Luke is saying this is for everybody. He is opening the door wide. He Luke himself may have been a Gentile as well. There are going to be questions. There are going to be questions from the Jews. There are going to be questions from the Gentiles. This is a whole new way. This is a whole new deal. There's an old covenant. There's a new covenant. This is the new covenant. And Luke answers their questions by telling the story of the life of Jesus. His desire is to answer their questions about the life of Jesus. So he follows the exploits of the hero of the story, who is Jesus. And the story moves from adventure to adventure. And in the book of Luke, the hero is on a quest. And his quest is to secure salvation for all people. There's obstacles. There's obstacles along the way. There's conflicts with the demonic world. But overwhelming all of that, God's salvation is both for Jews and for Gentiles. And Luke tells the story as if it's a journey. The journey of the life of Jesus and those who follow him on the road together. So that when he gets to the book of Acts, it's actually called the way. The way. So Luke says, get on the road of life by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He's the one who's leading the way. So we deny ourselves. We commit ourselves to follow Jesus. Luke tells us how. Then we get to the fourth biography of Jesus, which was written by John. And his message is believe. Believe Believe, believe, believe. He uses the word more than 90 times in his book. Believe. John's biography is different than the others. Different. The others are often called the synoptic gospel. Synoptic like synonym. Because there's so many similarities between Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But John is really, really different. Again, there's no contradiction. It's just a complete, complete, unique perspective. Mark was probably written first. John was probably written last. Probably not just written last among the Gospels. John was probably the last book of the Bible that was written. Most likely, John wrote this book after he wrote Revelation. 
John is in his 90s. He's an old man. He's probably survived being dropped in a vat of boiling oil and surviving that and being sent to the Isle of Patmos and seeing the revelation. He's at the end of his life. He knows the end, and he's looking back on all of it, and he's given the perspective of a full life who's followed Jesus. John John shares relatively few miracles. John only really has about seven miracles in his book, but more than half. More than half of John's biography is devoted to the last week of Jesus' life. And John John makes no attempt to prove that Jesus is God. Not about that. John begins with the assumption Jesus is God. He is the second person of the Trinity. He is the second person of Godhead. He starts it out this way. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God, and God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. And the Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in darkness. The darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, that first one in 400 years, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe, 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 believe. He's going to say that over and over and over again. Believe. Because of his testimony. John was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who's the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created. I'm not trying to prove that to you. I'm just telling you that's the way it is. He came into the world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. That's something Matthew dealt with. But to all who believed him and accepted them, he gave the right to become children of God. They're reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from a human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the Word, the Word who was in the beginning with God, the Word who was with God, the Word who was God, God became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we've seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. So John's biography of Jesus is written to tell us Jesus walked this earth full of the glory of God, full of the honor and the dignity. He was the very person of God. That's what John wants to reveal to his readers. And more than 90 times he calls them to believe this, believe this, believe this. He's got a clear purpose. In John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, he says, The disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the one recorded in this book. I've only told you about seven of them, John says. I'm not focusing on the miracles. There are so many miracles, but these are written so that you may continue to believe. Not just believe, but continue to believe. Don't stop believing. Don't stop. Believe. Somebody wrote a song about that, right? Don't stop. Some people start believing and then stop believing, don't they? John says, this, John, this, my biography is written so that you'll not stop believing that Jesus is the Messiah, he is the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you'll have life by the power of his name. And he closes his book in John 21, verses 24 and 25. The disciple, this disciple, when I'm the one that's writing this biography, this is my This is my signature at the end. This disciple is the one who testifies to these events and has recorded them here. And we know that his account of these things is accurate. Because I saw it. I was there. I was with him. I was one of the closest ones to him. 
And Jesus also did many other things, and if they were all written down, I suppose the whole world couldn't contain the books that could be written. So John wants his readers to find life. This is a life-giving book. He's a disciple. He's a learner. He's a follower of Jesus. That is someone who enters into a relationship with Jesus and finds true, real life. That's what God-intended living is all about. And John says, if you'll just believe, if you'll just believe what I'm telling you, you can be an apprentice of Jesus, and you can know him, and you can have life. I mean real life, not the kind of life that this world offers. You can have real life. And he tells the story of the disciples leaving because Jesus had more than 12 disciples, you know. There was one time, uh, you know, some people are, oh, there was a church split or, oh, a lot of people left this church. Jesus had 70 followers and 58 of them left him in one day because they didn't understand his teachings. And he just walked out. He lost like, what's that, 75, 80% of his followers just walked out on him. And Jesus says, you guys going to bail out on me too? And John records Simon Peter said, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. Life, life, life. How? We believe. Believe and you'll get life. Believe. That's all. Just believe. You, you, don't, you don't have to go to church so many times. You don't have to get so many stars on the chart. You don't have to give so much money. You don't have to become a member. Just believe and you'll get life. That's John's message. We believe and we know you're the Holy One of God. This life is a life of love. This gospel is a gospel of love. John 13, 34, and 35. So I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Jesus is talking here. Just as I have loved you, so you should love each other. And your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. And John 15, 13. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And so Matthew is written to the Jews that Jesus is the fulfillment of all the prophecies of the coming Messiah. Mark is action, miracles, boom. Luke is, I've thoroughly researched this. This is the most detailed account, and I can guarantee you this is accurate, and Jesus is for everybody, not just for some. He's for everybody. And John says, just believe. Just believe. That's all you got to do. Just believe, and you'll get life-giving love. I want you to remember this. When that John the Baptist came on for the first time anybody ever spoke for God in 400 years, he came on and he was telling people about Jesus. And look, there's the Lamb of God. He's the one who's going to save us all. He's the one who's going to give. He's the Son of God. He's, he's the one. He's the one. And then did you know John started doubting it? There's a lot of people doubting today. There's a lot of people who are doubting faith and questioning their faith. They're calling it deconstruction. I've deconstructed my faith. I don't think I'm a believer anymore. Some of the songs that we sing are written by people who say they have deconstructed their faith and they no longer believe them. Some of you here today, maybe you've had doubts. I've had doubts. I remember one time when I was a little kid, I was laying in bed and I was thinking about God being eternal. I don't know. I was either seven years old or in seventh grade. I don't know. It was a long time ago. And I'm thinking, okay, Eternal means God never will end. I, I could kind of get God never ending, but then I started thinking God never began. And I'm laying in bed, bunk bed. I'm on the bottom bunk in my room four miles north of Greentown, Indiana. And I'm like, never beginning. And I go back, and I go back to Adam, and I go back to creation. And I go back, and my head started to hurt. So, sometimes it's hard to believe this stuff. So you know what you do? You just believe. Billy Graham had a partner in the early days of his ministry. Nobody remembers his name. 
Oh, some people remember his name. I've heard the story, told the story. I can't remember his name. I heard it just this week. He was a partner with Billy Graham. They said he was a better preacher than Billy Graham. He was more dynamic. He was more charismatic. They worked together in the early days of the ministry and youth for Christ. But he began to doubt it. He began to think science contradicted the scriptures. He actually fell away and became an atheist and became a prominent leader among atheists in the 50s and the 60s. And he would ask Billy Graham questions, and Billy Graham didn't have the answers for all the questions. And Billy Graham struggled with doubt after he was preaching. And he says, I went out in the woods one night with my Bible, and he says, I found a tree stump there, and I just laid my Bible open on the tree stump, and I said, God, I don't understand everything that's in this book, but I'm going to accept it by faith. And I'm going to accept that you are who you said you are, and you do what you said you would do, and everybody knows who Billy Graham is. I can't remember the name of the other guy. We do doubt. I talked about that on Easter Sunday. John the Baptist said, he's the one, he's the one, he's the one. And then John's thrown in prison and it doesn't look like Jesus is doing anything. Doesn't look like they're going anywhere. Where's, where's the kingdom? Where's the glory? Where's the overthrow of the Roman Empire? And so John sends his disciples to go check it out. And they say, they say John has sent us to say, are you the one or should we look for someone else? Did I get it right? Did I get it wrong? Are you the Messiah or not? Jesus doesn't immediately answer them. There's a bunch of people there. There's crowds. So Jesus starts praying for them, touching them, healing them, doing miracles. Blind people started seeing. Lame people started walking. Lepers started being cleansed. Deaf people started hearing. Dead people started coming to life. And poor people who who were spiritually poor were hearing the good news. And Jesus said, go tell John what you've just seen. Just, just go tell John what you've just witnessed. It's a different kingdom. It's a different kingdom. It's not going to be the kingdom of David. And we're warring against a different kingdom. We're not warring against Rome. We're warring against demonic forces. See, it's the ultimate paradox. Jesus wins the war by giving his life. But then he's resurrected. Who is Jesus? He's the loving warrior God-man. How do we follow him? We believe, and then we imitate. We be with Jesus. We become like Jesus so we can do what Jesus did. I've, I've got something I want you to listen to. I don't know if you can see the video. The video is just the words of the audio anyway. I want you to listen to. This is a little boy in Nebraska who called a Christian radio station. Listen to what he said when he called the station. Hey, Mike, can I talk to you? You bet, Logan. What's up? I want to tell you something that God just told me. Okay. Last night, my dad was roping this calf. And this calf had been born from a really old cow. She she didn't have really the greatest milk. She didn't have, like, the vitamin C and stuff. Okay. Hold on. Mom? So cute, I guess his mom talked. I'm talking right now. I'll be up in a second. But sorry about that. But anyway, she broke her back. And this morning I went out and put her down myself. I was talking to God. I was asking God why she was special. And God said, you know, Logan, but my son was special, but he died for a purpose. 
it's kind of the same thing. That calf was close to me, and God's son was close to him. Logan, you're you're so right. It's true. Think you're gonna be okay? Yeah, I'll be fine. But I just wanted to tell you guys that that is so important. Just remember when you lose a loved one or a pet, always remember that God gave his son too, and he understands. He will always understand. He will always just run to him. Logan, you're wiser than you know, buddy. Oh, sometimes I don't think I'm wise. Trust me, I've done a lot of stupid stuff, but I've learned from it. Yeah, but see, buddy, that's what makes you wise, somebody that learns from their mistakes. Oh, I just figured I'd better call and share with you guys. Love you. Love you, too. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they were written to you. The Holy Spirit wanted you to have them. They've been preserved for 2,000 years verified authenticity multiple manuscripts by scholars they were written to you the holy spirit wanted you to get this message jesus loves you jesus was not just a man jesus was god who came to us as a man so that we could get the message God loves you. I am God. I'm here and I love you. And there are some of you that need to hear that right now. Jesus is saying, I am God. I am here and I love you. He proved his love by giving his life on that cross. He died for you. And no matter what you have done, no matter what sins you have committed, no matter how big or small they may be, no matter how many times you've committed them, whether you're stuck in it right now, You do not have to be punished by God for those sins because Jesus took that punishment for you. And how do you get that guilt and how do you get that future sentence of punishment off of you? Do what John said. Believe. Do what John said 90 plus times. Believe. 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 For God loved the world in this way. He gave. His only son, so that everyone who believes in him would not perish, would not have to face the judgment of God, but would receive eternal life. So I want you to pray with me right now. And maybe you've never prayed a prayer like this before. But you want to know Jesus. You want to You say, I don't know if I want to be a follower of Jesus or not. I really don't know how. That's what we're here for. That's why we all come is because we're all learners. We're continuing learners, just like Marie, serving God for so many years. She's still a learner. So if you're here like, I don't don't know if I get this. We're not asking you to become a member. We're not asking you to sign anything. We're just saying, do you want to be a follower? Do you want to be a learner? Do you want to learn more? Do you want to do you want to have assurance that The punishment of God will not be on you because of your sins. John says, believe. And we express that belief through a prayer of confession. 
So I want to lead you in that today. And if you want to become a follower of Jesus, start being a follower of Jesus, a learner of Jesus, an apprentice under Jesus, spending time with him, learning from him, learning from others who are also struggling and learning and trying to follow along the way. You want to begin, you want to return to it. Maybe you were like John and you're like, hey, I don't know if this is right or not. Come back to your faith. Come back to your belief in Jesus. And I want to lead you in this prayer. And if you believe this prayer in your heart, the Bible says, if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart, we'll be saved from judgment. So pray with me right now. Father in heaven, I thank you for Jesus. Lord Jesus, I believe you're God. I believe you love me. And I have sinned. And you offer me forgiveness. I receive your forgiveness now. In Jesus' name. Help me to be a learner. Help me to be a follower. Let me be your apprentice. Amen. I just thank the Lord right now. We're going to say thank you, Lord, for your forgiveness. Thank you, Lord, for your love. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for your message. Thank you, Lord, for your power. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Let's stand together. If you prayed that prayer today, whether it was the first time or the first time in a long time, that card that we mentioned earlier, you can just let us know on that card. I'm making a commitment to Jesus or I'm making a recommitment to Jesus. And those that are watching online can let us know. Again, we're not going to bombard you or trouble you with lots of communications. We just want to come alongside and help you. And you can come alongside and help us. So if you made that commitment or recommitment today, let us know on that card or let us know online. Thank you, Jesus. I want to ask our prayer team if you'd come right now, the prayer team that's going to be serving today, those that are going to help pray for others today. And let's just worship the Lord for a few moments again. And let's thank Him for His love, His amazing grace that takes care of all of our sins. Thank you, Jesus. If you need prayer today for any reason whatsoever, maybe you just prayed that prayer today for the first time or the first time in a long time, you just want to join with somebody and ask Him, Pray for me for strength. Pray for me as I start to follow. Maybe you need a healing today. Maybe you need comfort today. Maybe you need strength today. Maybe you need freedom today. Maybe you need wisdom today. Whatever it is, you might need come. God's been moving as we've shared these last couple weeks especially. God's been moving. God's here. If you have a prayer need, come and receive prayer in Jesus' name.
to stick around for a few minutes. If you need to go, God bless you. Have a great day. And if you need prayer, they're going to stick around for just a few more minutes. If you'd like prayer, feel free to come.